Handoff, push up the middle, cuts out to the left side of the 30. And it's 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. The Trojans have scored first. Reggie Bush. 37 yards, and USC leads 6 to nothing. Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. All right, welcome to another edition of the Peristyle Podcast. This is episode number 19. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, publisher of uscfootball.com. And if you have any questions or comments for the show, you can always email us at podcast at uscfootball.com. In our very first segment, as always, we talk to the coach, Harvey Hyde. Coach, how's everything going today? Ryan, everything's going great, buddy. It's a countdown for another exciting uh, college football season. We're not that far away. And uh, we'll start to talk about uh, a lot of the you know, things that uh, people can look forward to this college, to this college football season. Uh, a couple of the polls are out, Bill Steele's poll and others, as far as who some of these publishers think uh, is the number one team in the country, some of the big game matchups and so on, and the most improved teams in the country. So I'm going to let you just take it. We'll go any way you want to go. All right. Sounds good. Uh, before we get going, I just want to take care of a little business and thank our sponsors. Over at SouthernCaliforniaTickets.com, they are a proud sponsor of the Harvey Hyde segment. If you have any need for tickets for concerts, sporting events, or the theater, just go to SCTickets.com or call 1-800-888-7287. And, you know, they're real nice to uh, sponsor us. We appreciate that. And, Coach, I just wanted to kind of talk about the early season matchups. There's a couple big out-of-conference games uh, that USC is going to be taking on Virginia and Ohio State, as everybody knows. We're going to talk to the publishers from the, the USC, I'm sorry, from the Virginia site and the, the Ohio State sites on the Rivals.com network. So we're going to talk about those later in the show, but just kind of give, uh, from a USC perspective, a little overall view of these guys. The, the first one coming up is Virginia. I mean, traveling 3,000 miles to Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, the very first game of the season. A lot of people are unproven. Uh, I mean, it could be a very dif- difficult task for a team. Yeah, it's, good. it's a tough task for any team, but you know, uh, for a young team, I think you benefit from this because a young team gets excited. A young team, this is their opportunity to play and play hard and get on film and be evaluated. And it's not like uh, someone that they're looking at that, oh, uh, uh, you know, we can beat these guys. They're excited about it all uh, all season. Their senior leadership, you know, with the defense and some of their key players over there. And Mark Sanchez now getting ready for his first start of the year. And and all that, you know, teams get excited, especially when it's a road game. You know, you're going on the road. You're taking your colors on the road. You're going into hostile territory. You know, we're going to take no prisoners. You know, we got to take the crowd out of the game. Uh, they just don't have let them cheer for anything. And, you know, Coach Carroll will be preaching about all this type of stuff on how that this game has been sold out since it was announced that it was going to be played. Uh, and how there'll be a big underdog and how we can't look at that. We've got to go down there and represent our conference and represent ourselves and, you know, and don't look past anybody. And, and, and I think that with the young offensive line and a young team uh, and some great seasoned players that can 
you know, like on the defensive side of the ball, the linebacker crew and the secondary crew and, and the receivers, if they step up this year and the offensive line forms together and who's going to be the running backs that are going to play, there's a lot of question marks. So if you get in the game, you don't want to waste the footage. You've got to do something good. You've got to make something happen. And going into a hostile territory like Virginia, I think it's great. It's an ACC game. Uh, you know, if you look at some of the early polls, a lot of people don't think Virginia's going to be a great team. But that doesn't mean anything when you're playing USC. Who's going to be ranked in the top five in every single poll in the country? So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a bowl game for them. It's a national championship game for Virginia. It's uh, the, the Virginia people want to compare USC with the entire ACC and some of the other top teams that come into Virginia. So, you know, uh, this is what you talk about to your team. This is what you tell them. And you tell them, you know, you're supposed to win the game, you're supposed to win, and don't think about any other game because if you don't get by this game, the other one might not make any difference. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Coach. And it's going to be a big game for Virginia. They went 9-4 and four last year. You know, they lose some guys all over the field. I mean, it's, it's, it's really a different, if you look at Virginia versus Ohio State, Virginia's got a lot of question marks. You know, replacing their quarterback, they had the number two pick in the draft and Chris Long. Uh, there's a lot of holes, and they're going to try to run a new type of offense. Uh, they got beat by Texas Tech in the Gator Bowl, and you know their offensive coordinator went down there to try and figure out you know what they can do to incorporate more of that spread offense. And we'll we'll talk to Chris Wallace in the next segment about uh, Virginia and what they're doing with the spread offense. But you know they're they're breaking in a lot of new players. They're breaking in a new offense or, or different you know trying to run a different offense. And you got one of the best defenses in the country coming into Charlottesville. And, you know, typically, I think you see a lot of teams that travel across the country have a bit of a hangover. Even Ohio State last year went to Washington and, uh, you know, they kind of struggled before they took that game over. And that wasn't a very good Washington team, you know, and it was a, obviously a very good Ohio State team. USC doesn't seem to get those kind of hangovers, whatever it is, if it's just more focus or, or what. I think we've talked about this several times on the podcast. Pete Carroll just seems to get these guys focused when they have to travel and play a big-name opponent out of conference. I think they like it. I think they look forward to it. I think they look forward to representing themselves and, and proving themselves to another group of media people, people who haven't seen them play, people who have read about them, but they want to know just how good they really are. I think this is things that Pete Carroll talks about, and this is how you motivate a team. You say, hey, okay, these guys haven't seen you. They're going to be voting for you guys. Where are they going to? Where do you want them to vote? Do you want to come down here and stick up and stink it up, or you want to come down here and say, when we leave, wow, that's a pretty good football, and that's what you call a football team. So this is this is what you talk about, and this is what you prepare for. And I'll tell you what, Virginia, with the new offense, you know, it's a passing game. They're going to throw the ball 60 times against USC, but they feel they can't run against them, obviously. They're going to wing it around with the short screens and the slants and the off-balance uh, draws and all the different things they're going to run to keep SC's defense, uh, you know, at, try to stabilize them a little bit because of their uh, greatness on defense. So uh, it's a difficult offense to learn in, 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 in a short period of time because it take, it's what brought Texas Tech to be one of the fine teams it is now in the, the Big 12, because a lot of people don't see it. And when you don't see this type of offense, it's very difficult to prepare for it. It really is, because it's a different type of offense. They throw the ball around. Uh, they, they get hundreds of yards, thousands of yards every year. The quarterback's always 
breaking every record. They have great receivers. But, you know, that's Texas Tech. Virginia hasn't got there yet. So it's going to be very difficult for them to put this new offense in against the Trojans. Yet it's going to be something for the Trojans to prepare for the University of Virginia with this new type of offense because they may not see it again. But the next week or in two weeks, they're going to go against a guy that wants to pound it right down your throat in Ohio State. Yeah, I think you're right. It's it's going to be a little bit different than when USC played Illinois because obviously they had a very mobile quarterback. Uh, I think that you know for Virginia they're probably going to be more of a drop back pass, drop back passing team this year, depending on who wins out. But it looks like yeah, I mean they're going to be throwing the ball over the field like you said, and it'll keep the uh, USC secondary busy. One of the, the the X factors in this game, and, and people don't talk about it all that much. I mean that Virginia's replacing a punter and a kicker. USC has their punter and kicker coming back. I think there could be a huge special teams advantage, and if I think Virginia's going to need a lot of things to go right, and usually, you know, for to win that game, and usually you get a few big plays in the special teams game. I'm just not sure the kicking game is going to go their way, and it, you know, it's it it just really has a chance to get ugly early, and then once USC gets on a roll, they could kind of pile it on. Well, I agree with you. I think that uh, once you take the crowd, uh, there's going to be a lot of emotion early, first game of the year, and so on, and everything down there, and. And uh, I think uh, for a while, you know, FC will try to evaluate what we're seeing, what they're running against us. Because if I was Virginia defensively, I wouldn't just line up and run something I ran before. I'd try to surprise you. I'd come after you. I'd I'd have to try to cause, you know, Sanchez to make some mistakes because you can't just sit back and let him play football. They're going to see a lot of blitzes. They have nothing to lose. They're going to be, and I hate to say this, going to be a 21-point underdog at least. At least. I'm just guessing. And this is at home. So uh, the best way you do it, everybody's expecting you to lose. So what you got to do is you got to gear it up. You got to take chances. You got to play dangerous football and uh, go after it. And uh, if I know if I was coaching the University of Virginia, I'd give you a different look every single play on on defense so that Sanchez could never get a rhythm. I wouldn't want you to get any rhythm going as far as SC is concerned. I, I know you outmatch me. I know you outpower me. I know you do everything better than me. But I, I try to come after you in some way to keep you off balance and, and then not put my offense in a position where, you know, uh, they're going to have to go 80 yards to score every time. Because if they do, that's not going to happen against SC's defense. So, you know, it, it, you, you know the odds are against you. But you schedule the game. It's going to be a great game. We're all going to watch it on August the 30th. We're going to get excited about college football. Their team's going to be excited. Their fans are going to be excited. And we use the same old theory. Anything can happen on any game on Saturday, and we've seen it all happen. We certainly have. And uh, after that, so we're going to look ahead. Virginia is going to be a fun game, like you said. We're going to all watch that and uh, see what happens. I'll be there covering it, actually, uh, up in the press box. So it should be interesting there. I've never been to Charlottesville. Uh, but two weeks after that, the biggest, uh, you know, out-of-conference game of the season uh, for any teams in college football, USC hosting Ohio State at the Coliseum, seven Heisman trophies between these two schools. Uh, Trestle and Pete Carroll both have excellent BCS bowl game records. Uh, obviously, Ohio State lost their last two national championship games, and USC lost that only one to Texas a couple years ago. You know, really big programs coming in. They'll be ranked one, two, three, maybe four. Who knows? You know, the top three or four teams in the country. Uh, just, I mean, are you just excited to see this game, Coach? Oh, I really am because I think the winner of this game will be the number two team in the country. 
I really believe that it's that big of a team. If they're not uh, number one, they're going to be number two. Uh, I think Ohio State will be ranked in most polls one or two. Florida will be up there with Tebow coming back and so on. SC will be in the early polls, I think, three, four, right in that area in most polls and so on. So I believe the winner of this game will immediately uh, go to the number two, especially if SC wins this game. It's going to be huge for uh, of course, Ohio State representing the Big Ten and being having been so disappointed. And 19 starters coming back from a team that got beat in the national championship game. And USC really uh, with a home crowd advantage, but a very uh, young team going against a very experienced defense and a very experienced offense uh, with a great running back and a returning quarterback and a great receivers and so on. So uh, it's going to be quite a matchup. And Ohio State's used to playing in hostile arenas, and they're going to look forward to this. I know they've been talking about it the entire season. I believe, I believe Ohio State has two games before they play SC, so they'll have a one-game advantage. I they, believe they do, Coach. It's Youngstown State on August 30th, the day that they have Youngstown State at home, the day USC goes to Virginia. USC would then have a bye week after that, where, where Ohio State hosts the University of Ohio. Uh, on September 6th. So they have two cupcake games before they have to travel all the way to, to Los Angeles to play USC. So I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Would you rather play a couple cupcakes or do you like the way USC does it? And just, I mean, it's rare when they have someone like an Idaho, like they did before on the schedule. Well, I, I'll tell you this. I'd rather have two games if Ohio State's going to have two games. Uh, I think that you can't replace game experience, four quarters of football. You try to in practice, but it's game management, you know, calling the plays, uh, not having any delay games, working with a full crew of officials, uh, substitutions, uh, you know, all of that you iron out. And uh, having an open game and then coming back and having a bye, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, you keep your momentum going. But I'd rather have another game. I would rather have another game before I played Ohio State to get more experience, especially for a young team. I think a, a experienced team, it doesn't hurt as much. But I think with a young team like SC is going to have in some certain positions and establishing who the people are, running back and receivers and offensive line-wise and so on and defensive tackles, I, I would think it would benefit SC to have a second game. But they're not going to have that, so they're going to have to come back and pound on themselves and try to get better in practice. So uh, having camp, Playing away, coming home, and having an early buy. I don't like early buys. I, you know, uh, buys are normally good when you're when you need to heal up a little bit and a little bit later on in the season and so on. Uh, Ohio State will, will obviously beat up on those two teams early in the year and come in really uh, with a lot of momentum. And 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 the coach will let them know you didn't beat USC when you beat these two other teams. Now it gives this gives you a chance. But I think the four quarters of Losing the experience and, 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 and everything of what happens in game management, as I call it, will help and give Ohio State an advantage. Now, Coach, one this is something that hasn't really come up before. I know I'm looking over the different schedules of some of the teams USC's playing, and Ohio State especially. I mean, they play on an artificial surface uh, at home. The, most of their games are on, are on artificial surfaces. They only have a couple of, of grass games uh, when they play at Michigan State and they play at Northwestern, and then obviously when they play at USC. Is, I mean, you've coached different teams before. Is there some kind of advantage or disadvantage if you go from one surface to the other? And, and what do you think affects a team like that, especially when they have to travel so far to, to play on a grass surface? 
Well, you know, I don't think it makes that much difference. Uh, you, you know, come out and you have your walkthroughs and you wear different shoes and and uh, you get your footing and so on. When, when, you, when is game day? Believe me, the football field's the same size for both teams. The grass is the same for both teams. I mean, they'll practice all week on turf back at home. I mean, they're going to play practice on grass. They're going to be ready to play. That's not going to make a difference in a football game. When they play in the Rose Bowl, they play on natural turf. So, you know, I would say to my guys, hey, makes no difference what we play on. If we have to play in the parking lot, for some reason, if the sprinklers go on, it doesn't, <laughs> you know, well, who cares? we got to play this football game. Yeah. So I think people sometimes over the, overreact on that. I, I know that I never talked about it because I didn't want it to be a distraction for my team. Made no difference. I know that I like to play on natural grass a lot better than, than turf or artificial turf, but you get sometimes rug burns and so on and turf toe and some of these things that, you know, really uh, are unfortunate and, and they really are hard to heal. So, you know, I think the game was made for natural turf, and, and I know this new stuff uh, is great and so on. They're even putting it on racetracks now. For, for horses and running, it's supposed to be safer and so on. But, you know, I, I don't think it makes a difference in the game at all. Yeah, I'm, I'm a grass guy, too. I like that. Uh, don't You want to take that the wrong way, but I do like seeing the games when they're played on grass. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, a lot of the surfaces, are, newer surfaces are cool. They're, they're kind of hybrid things, but... Uh, it's nothing like watching the, the teams run out in the grass field like at the Coliseum. Um, You're exactly right. And I'll tell you another thing. On a hot day, that uh, that turf, artificial turf, is hot. Yeah. It really is warm. It, the temperature is probably 10 degrees harder, hotter on the field than it would, if it was natural turf. Yeah, it could be a big advantage for USC if, uh, if we have the weather like we had the last week or so when it's that kind of heat in September. And that's definitely not uncommon. Um, I don't know if Ohio State's going to be ready for that, but we'll have to see. Uh, I was looking on the offensive side a little bit. Uh, you know, you talked about returning quarterback. Uh, you know, Beckman's coming back, Todd Beckman. Uh, Beanie Wells, people are actually talking about him as a potential Heisman candidate. Um, the, the receivers aren't that uh, well-known. And there's a lot. They, they're kind of like USC. There's a lot of guys coming back, but none of them are really kind of standout guys. They had a, a few guys get drafted a couple years ago. Um, but, you know, they have... 10 guys coming back on the offensive side of the ball. So, I mean, there's a lot of experience coming back. Uh, I mean, it's going to be, you know, obviously they're going to face a really good defense in USC, but they're, you know, I don't know if they're going to miss a beat from what they did last year, just because they have everyone back. I agree with you hundred percent. And when you played together, you, you have a great feeling. Uh, you, you, you know, you, 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 you know, offense is rhythm. Offense is timing. Offense is coordinating. 11 people on one play. Defense is a little bit different. A guy could go the wrong way and make a great play, and he did the right thing. So offense, if you miss one block, one guy makes a mistake, it kills a whole play. So when you have 10 guys back on offense, and they played some great people last year and played in the national championship game and the, uh, you know, the Michigan game, and Michigan went on and, and won their game and the bowl game and so on for Lloyd Carr, uh, I just think... I just think that uh, the, the, the experience, you can't replace experience in college football. You just can't replace it. And, you know, Ohio State doesn't have any football players that aren't any good. Ohio State's receivers are probably like SC's receivers. They People don't know who they are, but they got so many of them. 
and all of a sudden one will emerge. And, and so they've got great players, and they're off to another great recruiting year. If you look at a lot of these polls already, they have more signees or commits than, than some of the, the other teams. But some people have got them up there two in the nation already in, in recruiting. Every year they're up there like SC in recruiting. So they got great players. A big, strong offensive lineman. In fact, one of Michigan's offensive linemen uh, left Michigan and transferred to Ohio State as starter, an all-Big Ten player. He's got to sit out a year. He'll play at Ohio State. So, you know, they don't lack players anywhere. So it's going to be, and, and they know in the Big Ten they've got to get more speed, okay? There's still a power. But I'll tell you, Wells is a big, strong back. I'll tell you, he's got a lot of confidence, and he's a hammer, not a nail. Yeah, SC was and after I, him pretty hard. I, we talked to uh, Fred Davis a couple of years ago, and he really wanted him to, you know, because Fred Davis is from Ohio and wanted him to come out there and couldn't get him to switch his mind. But, yeah, they're, they're going to be – there's a lot of talent on offense, obviously, we'll have to see. But, man, they have a ton of talent on defense. I mean, I, if you look at two the two best linebacker corps in the country, you could definitely look at USC and you could definitely look at Ohio State with James Laurinaitis and – Marcus Freeman, I mean, those two guys are just just players. I agree with you 100%. And just like SC's guys, they didn't come out. He needed the best. They could have all come out. Uh, Malaluga and, and, and Cushing and all these guys could have all come out, and their players could have come out, but they all came back for their senior year. And I'm going to tell you, that's going to be awesome to see this type of football game. When you start to think about it, being able to see this type of football game early season in the Coliseum, Hey, this this could be a national championship game. For the team that wins this game, I really see a clear path if they take care of business to go on and win a national championship. I don't see anybody beating Ohio State, okay? If Ohio State beats SC, they will go all the way. I'm going to tell you that right now. And if SC can beat Ohio State, SC, the only person that can beat SC the rest of the way is USC. So I really feel this game is so key that the winner of this game will have control of their own destiny and going to the national championship game. I agree with you too, coach. And this is where everyone talks about the people that don't want a college playoff. This is why they want this game, September 13th, to mean as much as a playoff game. And it, it pretty much does just because of the, you know, the hype and all the, you know, all the, you know, implications of coming from, I mean, whoever wins this game, whoever loses this game is probably out of the national championship and whoever wins has a clear path there. They'll be number one or number two for the rest of the year. And uh, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more coach. It's, I, I mean, it's just, it's hard to imagine, you know, Ohio State had some really good games against Texas a couple years ago and now they get to, to schedule USC. USC does this every year. They always try to schedule big names like this. So it's going to be really fun and it's going to be an amazing start of the season. If USC can start two and oh, like you said, I mean, they, they have, I mean, obviously the PAC 10 gives them trouble at time, but they, they really have a, an excellent shot at running the table and, and getting to Miami and going for the national championship. They certainly do, but the home the home field advantage favors them the whole way. FC the whole way. They have the the best teams this year in the Pac-10 supposedly are all at home. So you know that's why I said they're in control of their own destiny. Yeah. All right, Coach. Well, thank you very much for your insights on this. We're going to get into a little more detail on Virginia and Ohio State coming up in the next couple segments, so stay tuned to that. Coach, again, thanks for your time. Thank you very much, buddy, and I'll talk to you next week. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. 
We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. All right, welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We have a very special guest in this segment uh, doing a Virginia preview coming to us from CavsCorner.com. It's the Virginia site on the Rivals.com network is Chris Wallace. Chris, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well, Ryan. How about you? Thank you very much. And uh, before we get into this Virginia preview, we just wanted to take some time to thank our sponsor for this segment. Uh, we are sponsored by the Law Offices of Bart Ring. Bart's been a Trojan fan his whole life and has been helping Trojan fans for the last 20 years with their legal issues. If you have any problems that have to do with the law, you can give him a call at 818-587-9299 or go to bartringlaw.com. Thanks again to our sponsor there. And uh, Chris, just want to, I guess, start off with a little review of last season for Virginia. They had a overall successful season, nine and four. Just kind of get your overall thoughts on that before we start previewing the game. Yeah, I think it was a pretty good year year for them coming off of, you know, a a five and seven campaign, and and a lot of people were kind of wondering what Al Gross' future was looking like. If he was the right guy for the job, and you know they won a lot of close games. They weren't overly impressive all the time, but all in all, I think they played pretty well. Uh, they, you know, a couple of big areas really hurt them. They really didn't have uh, great uh, productivity from the wide receiver position, which which is, should be an area that's upgraded this year. And, and then, obviously, the uh, quarterback play was a little bit spotty at times, you know, especially in terms of uh, just some accuracy problems from Jamil Sewell, who actually will not be back with the team this year. So, But overall, I think it was a good year. Obviously, the, the bowl loss to Texas Tech was disappointing to have a, uh, you know, a 28-14 lead with about five minutes to go in the game and, and uh, lose that game by on a late field goal, you know, that left kind of a, I think a bad taste in everybody's mouth. Certainly, ten and three would have been, you know, a, a much greater accomplishment, especially for a program that's only had one ten-win season in its history. So, you know, but I think uh, it was a good year. They got a lot of, you know, they, they the coaching staff, and you're going to see it in years going forward, has done a good job with its recruiting philosophy, and they're recruiting better athletes and, and more speed. And I think there's some exciting young players in the program that, you know, people aren't really aware of. And, you know, I think for those of us that, that follow it pretty closely, you can start to see that, you know, maybe they've got a chance to turn a corner here in the next couple of years. Yeah. 10 and three does sound, it seems like it would sound a lot better than nine and four. Um, just looking at Algo's career. I mean, obviously he had a, took a few shots and, uh, you know, had a good season last year, but overall, uh, 77 and 77, I believe, is his overall record. Do you think that there's any pressure on him this year? Does he have to go out and, and beat some of the bigger teams on the schedule, like beating USC in the beginning or Virginia Tech you know, at the finale, Miami during the season? Do you think he's going to have to win some big signature games to keep his job? Uh, I don't think so. Not after, not after what happened last year and the, the success they're having you know, with recruiting. Um, I, I think generally the feeling is pretty positive about the program. I mean, 
you know, they've been to, he's been here seven years. He's been to bowl games five times. Uh, his record of Virginia is 51 and 37, which isn't great, but isn't, isn't terrible. And they've got a winning record in ACC play. So, um, you know, I, I think the concern a lot of people had, myself included, is that when, when Gro arrived, he tried to bring too much of an NFL mentality to the program. And, and, you know, obviously, college football and professional football are apples and oranges. And, and I think people that are observant have slowly, slowly seen him start to adapt to the college game in terms of recruiting more speed, um, you know, some of the different things they're doing, trying to spread, the, you know, he, I think he came in with the mentality that, you know, they wanted to be big on defense and have a ball control, you know, physical running game that would win in bad weather, you know, which was, you know, great for the New York Giants. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't get you any wins at Florida State and Miami. So there's been some, some drastic changes in the mentality of the program, how they recruit. And as I said, they've done a nice job of bringing in some guys. They've, they've upgraded the coaching staff. They're, they're looking at different colleges in terms of trying to scheme better on you know, both sides of the ball for the college game. And, and I think generally there's some optimism with, you know, where this program is headed. Now, whether that translates into a big season this year or not, you know, I don't think it does. You know, you know, I, I think this team is going to be better than people are forecasting. But, you know, I don't see him being in any danger of, of losing his job this year regardless. And I really don't think this team will finish with the kind of record that would, you know, raise any real red flags. I think it's a football team that'll probably go seven and five, something along that lines, and you know, play in a smaller tier bowl, and then you know, have a chance to be pretty good in the years going forward. Yeah, I think that takes a lot of pressure if there if there isn't that kind of cloud hanging over the head coach's you know head, where it's just like, oh, we need to do well, or we're not, you know, the the staff isn't going to be back. Um, so that's good to hear. But let, let's kind of look forward to the game a little bit. I, if any of the USC fans out there watched. Virginia last season, it looks like this year it's going to be, the offense is going to be a little bit different. You know, you talked about, you know, Sewell not being there, uh, but the quarterback play wasn't exactly, uh, you know, it wasn't spot on all the time. And maybe you can talk about who who's going to take over. And then also it looks like the, you know, uh, Gro went down to uh, Texas Tech to check out their offense. You might be throwing a few more passes this year. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think they're going to go to more of a uh, spread offense, probably operate, uh, the majority of the time out of the shotgun. Most likely the uh, the quarterback is going to be a young man named Peter Lollick, who's going to be a true sophomore, got some playing time last year, and and looked good in spurts, obviously looked like a true freshman at other times. But he's a guy who was very highly rated coming out of high school, was in the lead 11 quarterback, had offers from numerous big-time schools like you know Florida State, Oklahoma, Cal, got a little bit of interest from, from USC, but not an offer. Um, He's a guy that people are excited about. He's a 6'5", 230-pound pocket passer. He doesn't have the type of mobility that a guy like Jamil Sewell had. So he's going to have to do it with his arm. But but there's there's definitely some excitement about what he can do in the passing game. And then, as I said, the, the situation of wide receivers should be much improved this year. Uh, most notably because Virginia will get back a young man by the name of Kevin Ogletree, who missed all of last year with a knee injury, but two years ago caught uh, 
52 bat- passes for about 600 yards, and and he is really a talented player, about 6'1", 190, can really run, and clearly the uh, one of the elite receivers in the ACC. And he he returned to the practice field late last season, didn't play, and looked great in spring ball. So people are excited about him, and you know the offense in general. But then he's got a tremendous one-two tandem at running back in uh, Mikel Simpson and Cedric Pierman. Pierman was leading the ACC in rushing when he went down for the year with a foot injury. He'll be back. When he went down, uh, Simpson stepped up and was tremendous the rest of the way. They got both of those guys back. Got a you know potential high draft pick at tight end in John Phillips and you know a couple of good bookend tackles in Eugene Monroe, who people are projecting as a first-round pick. And a guy named Will Barker, who'll be in his third season as a starter. So you know I think a lot of people are looking at the Virginia offense and are consciously optimistic. I think the big question mark is the interior of the offensive line where both stars in the center are going to be uh, new starters this year. Yeah, the offensive line obviously really important to kind of keep everything going. But if they're running the spread, maybe it will help out um, you know, a little bit where you don't have to protect the quarterback for as long and there's a few more things you can do. Uh, you talked about Ogletree. It looks like, uh, I believe it was Maurice Covington was the leading receiver from last year. Are the, the receivers kind of excited that they're going to toss the ball around a little bit more? And you talked about the running backs. Are they... I, you guys didn't run the ball. It's not you guys. Virginia didn't run the ball all that much uh, in the spring game. Uh, were the running backs a little upset that they were throwing the ball so much? No, I don't think so. I think, you know, uh, basically they were trying to get a look at the quarterbacks and, you know, put on a show for the fans. So the, the two running backs that Virginia have both know they're going to see the ball a lot. Uh, and both guys are, you know, tremendous receivers. So, you know, one of the things – you know, people are going to have to understand when they play Virginia, you're going to have to cover those two guys out of the backfield. For instance, Mikel Simpson, who didn't really even see the field in the first six games of the season, caught 43 passes a year ago uh, as a tailback. Uh, you know, Cedric Pierman caught 12 balls. They're going to throw the ball to the backs. Um, they're going to spread around. They're going to throw it to the tight ends. But, but Covington... Uh, really came on at the end of the year and had a great spring. And there's some real excitement about him. He's a big, strong, fast wideout. He's a guy who's, who's got a chance to play for a living. Um, and like I said, Ogletree is really an elite wide receiver. And then they've got a couple of young kids who uh, they're excited about. Dontrell Inman caught 17 passes as a true freshman last year, 6'3", 195-pounder from South Carolina. Um very promising young player. So uh, the, the wide receiver core, you know, again, Virginia's always got some of the best tight ends in the country. Uh, Peter Lawlett's going to have plenty of guys to throw the ball to. It's going to be a matter of, you know, what kind of protection he gets. And, you know, if Virginia can run the ball well enough to keep things honest. And, you know, one of the positives is it's, I think, typically it's easier for an inexperienced offensive line to find a way to pass block than it is to be a dominating running team. So, uh, you know, there, there's there's some cautious optimism that it's be a pretty good offense. And, yeah. you know, whether people will know that after the USC game, you know, that's obviously a big if with the kind of talent you guys have on the defensive side of the ball. But, you know, I think as the year progresses, you'll see Virginia, you know, move the ball pretty effectively because they've got a lot of weapons at the skill positions. 
That sounds like it'd be pretty fun to watch. Uh, Covington almost reminds me a little bit of a USC receiver, senior Patrick Turner. Both are seniors. Um, you know, Patrick's has never kind of emerged as the guy everyone thought he was going to be. So both of those guys are, have a potential for breakout senior year. So we'll have to see when they go at it uh, on August 30th. Let's uh, switch over to the defense a little bit. Looks like the biggest concern is probably going to be on the defensive line. Everyone knows about Chris Long. We talked about him, the number two pick. Uh, looks like they're running a 3-4 defense, but you lost three I mean, three of the linemen are, are gone. Is that correct? Yeah, all, all three of the stars from a year ago are gone. Obviously, everybody knows about Chris Long. But the other starting defense is any young man named Jeffrey Fitzgerald, who's a freshman All-American, had a great uh, sophomore season as well. Um, he had some uh, academic issues. He's no longer in school. And then um, Alan Billick started at, at nose tackle. But, uh, you know, how the defensive line plays is, is going to be a big key to what kind of success Virginia had on defense. But there, there's a lot of good young talent on the defensive line, um, especially at nose tackle. Virginia's going to have a one-two combination of Nate Collins, who's played quite a bit his first two years, uh, and a young man, a redshirt freshman named Nick Jenkins, who was a four-star recruit from on rivals who had more than 30 scholarship offers from really elite programs, Penn State, Tennessee. I mean, pretty much you name anybody on the East Coast, they offered Jenkins, and, and he's been an absolute force uh, during his redshirt freshman year. And then in spring ball, he was just a, a menace getting after the quarterback. So they're, they're really excited about those two guys. They think they're going to be better. Even though those two guys are inexperienced, they think they're going to be better at nose tackle than they have been at any time during Crow's tenure. And then on the defensive line, uh, Sean Gottschalk is a likely starter in one defensive end spot uh, from Richmond, Virginia, very highly regarded recruit, another four-star player who uh, turned down Miami, among other schools, to come to Virginia. He's kind of in the Chris Long mold, about 6'4", 280, great motor, uh, has a knack for getting to the, to the quarterback. and. On the other side, most likely it's going to be Alex Field, who's going to be a senior. He's gotten, you know, a decent amount of experience and improved gradually each year. He's about 6'7", 280. Um, they've got some players, and then they've got a young man who's a redshirt freshman from Illinois that is generating the most buzz, uh, a guy named Matt Conrad, who they think has a chance to be a future uh, All-American in Virginia at defensive end as well. So, Definitely an inexperienced group, no shortage in terms of size and talent. And again, probably you're looking, you know, from a standpoint of productivity as a group that you would project to get better as the season goes on and, and you know, to be to be pretty good for years to come. I mean, the, the coach staff is, is very excited about the, the depth, talent, and youth that they have up front. So... It's going to be really interesting to see how those guys play. And if they play pretty well, Virginia's defense can be pretty good. All right. And the uh, I guess the linebacker spot's probably going to be the strength of the team. It's going to be a little more challenging, obviously, with not the same kind of uh, you know skill. and um, I mean, maybe there's as much skill up front, but maybe not the same kind of experience that they had playing in front of them. But do you agree the linebacker is probably going to be the strength of this defense? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, Especially uh, Clint Sinem, who's you know started every game of his career at outside linebacker. He's a guy who uh, you know I think had about nine sacks last year, and he's going to be a guy that they're going to really look to to you know 
kind of take the lead as far as pass rushing goes. Both uh, inside linebackers, Antonio Appleby and John Copper, uh, this will be their third year starting together. Um, you know, they're they're most not the most athletic duo, but both guys are really smart, understand their position, and and find ways to make plays. And then, you know, on the other side, that position's kind of wide open, could go to any number of guys, but but they're excited. They got about four guys that they think uh, can really play. So, you know, I think they're really excited about linebacker. They've also got a young man named John Bivens. Uh, who's going to be a sophomore who was kind of nicked up all of last season, who they think is is a future star who's going to probably, you know, start in the nickel package and, and also uh, see some time at inside linebackers. So, so it's a group that they're pretty excited about and one that they feel, you know, is going to be solid, you know, and productive and, and not make too many mistakes because of the experience level. All right. And then uh, quickly c- touch on special teams a little bit. Um, looks like there's going to be a freshman kicker that's going to be playing. It looks like he's, he's scheduled to be the starter, and the punter's a walk-on guy. Uh, what, how have they looked like in the spring? What did you see from them, and uh, what do you expect well, from those guys? more than likely, the punter's going to be a true freshman. They signed a kid named Jimmy Howell out of South Carolina who uh, was rated as one of the top punters in, uh, in the country. He... Uh, it's pretty much, you know, unless he really struggles, he's probably going to win the job. Um, so really no idea what to expect from him. And as far as place kicker goes, uh, Chris Hinkabean from North Carolina redshirted last year. Uh, he's really struggled since he arrived in Virginia uh, in practice. And again, this spring with accuracy issues in his tent. Uh, they uh, actually, uh, we just broke the news that Virginia's got a uh, – recruited to walk on from Florida named Robert Randolph, who is uh, going to be joining the team already enrolled in school. And, and we think he's got a great chance to compete for the job, but certainly the kicking game is, is a huge question mark going into the season, uh, both in terms of, you know, punting and kicking. That's, that's a real major concern for this team. You know, once training camp gets started in August is, is trying to shore up those two spots and, and make sure that you're at least competitive. You know, especially from a place-kicking standpoint, Virginia's been pretty good through the years. Connor Hughes was, you know, one of the, the best kickers in the country for four years. And then Chris Gold, the last couple of years, has, you know, certainly done a lot more good than bad. So uh, I think if you were listing kind of in order the, you know, on paper, the, the real big question marks, the, the kicking game, both punting and place-kicking, would be way up at the top of the list. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, if it's any consolation to Virginia fans out there, even though USC has a lot of athletes, they never seem to put a whole lot of pressure with a great return game. So uh, Pete Carroll seems to be content with just getting the ball and then letting his offense go to work. So maybe that first game it won't be too big of a test for these guys, but it will be kind of interesting. Uh, it is the first meeting of USC-Virginia, so that's that's kind of historic. Just want to kind of get your overall thoughts. I don't know how much you got to see of USC, but what kind of uh, performance are you expecting out of Virginia? Uh, you know, playing at home. I mean, they're probably looking forward to this like it's a you know a Super Bowl type of game, just because it's such a big name coming in. Yeah, I mean, I think people are excited. I I think you know, to be honest with you, probably for those outside of the program, expectations are kind of low. I mean, you know. As, as well as Virginia has recruited, 
you know, what USC does from a recruiting standpoint is in a different league. I mean, with, with a couple of exceptions, anytime the Trojans take the field, there's going to be a pretty sizable talent disparity, you know, between the two sidelines. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I think from a Virginia standpoint, obviously the, the expectations of the coaching staff and players is going to be to try to win the, the football game. I think if you talk to most Virginia fans, it's going to be sort of a, a wait-and-see approach, and, and they're going to be really interested to see what the offense looks like and how the quarterback performs. Because, um, you know, we're expecting a lot of changes, a lot of different looks. They're going to throw it around a little bit more, and, and you know, people are going to be interested to see what kind of success they, they can have doing that against a, you know, a defense that's going to have as much speed as the Trojans. You know, and how Wallach looks and, and kind of how the offensive line looks. And, you know, I, I think if Virginia can move the ball, do some things on offense, you know, keep, keep it interesting. You know, I think Virginia fans are tempered enough in their expectations that they'll probably be pretty excited about that heading into the rest of the season because they're actually following the Southern Cal game. The, the schedule's pretty, pretty favorable for Virginia. I mean, they could – after that, they've got Richmond, Connecticut, Duke, Maryland, East Carolina, North Carolina. I mean, those are all very winnable games uh, for Virginia. So I think the USC game, at least from a outsider standpoint, fan standpoint, is going to kind of be used more as a barometer for, for what people can expect from Virginia the rest of the year and as they get into the ACC schedule. Um, you know, obviously – the, the coaching staff and the players are going to look at it as a great opportunity to kind of put themselves on the map. But uh, I just, you know, it's hard for me to imagine them being able to win that game right out of the gate with, with so many new players in, in new roles. I mean, obviously, on the flip side, you catch USC coming in with a new quarterback and they're going to be in the same position in certain certain areas where they're breaking new guys and they're trying to see exactly what they've got in 2008. So there's always a chance you could kind of catch them a little bit, a little bit off as well. But, but I, I just think there's, you know, just going to be too much, too much talent uh, for Pete Carroll's team for Virginia to probably be able to beat them unless Virginia gets a lot of help. I mean, if USC comes in and turns it over a few times and. You know, Virginia can get some points on special teams, you know, get have one of those kind of games, kind of an error-filled game where uh, you kind of get some breaks, and then you never know, especially if it's close late. But but obviously uh, nobody nobody here on the East Coast that follows Virginia football is, is underestimating just how much talent there is on that, that team that they're going to see on August 30th. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, obviously it's a great opportunity. It, it's funny, I've, I've been obviously following the Trojans for years, covering these guys, and one of the things that Pete Carroll does well, I mean, he does a lot of things well, one of them is getting up for the big out-of-conference road game early in the season. And uh, it's it's just interesting that no matter who they, tra- you know, if they go to Arkansas or they go to Nebraska or they go to Auburn, they just seem to be so up for that game. It's the games like the Stanford game last year where it's in the middle of the season and you know, it's a familiar team and they don't, you know, they, they don't really, 
maybe they, I don't know if they put as much emphasis on it. They seem to put a lot of emphasis on these games, but you know, we'll see. You're right. It's a new quarterback. We see how they perform. Uh, you know, Mark Sanchez started three games, but you know, he doesn't have a ton of experience. We'll have to see how it goes. It's going to be an interesting one, but uh, you know, Chris, thank you so much for your insights on the game. And uh, if anyone wants to check out his work, it's CavsCorner.com, or you can go to Virginia.Rivals.com. He you know works for the Cavs Corner Virginia site on Rivals. And thanks again, Chris, for joining us. Hey, no problem. Anytime. All right, take care. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Trojan fans, have legal problems or questions only an attorney can answer? Contact the law offices of Bart Ring. Bart is a proud Trojan alum who has been taking care of the legal needs of the USC family, its alumni and fans, for over 20 years. Like the Trojans under Pete Carroll, Bart and his team achieve successful results for their clients by preparation and outworking the opposition. Call Bart at 818-587-9299 or go to bartringlaw.com to see if he can help you with your legal issues. Don't forget to mention the Peristyle Podcast for a free consultation. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. All right, welcome back to the final segment of the Peristyle Podcast, and we have a very special guest in this segment as well. We're going to preview the Ohio State game with the publisher from BuckeyeGrove.com, the Ohio State Rivals.com site, Kevin Noon. Kevin, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Excellent. Well, it's going to be a pretty big game, apparently. Uh, USC's got to go to Virginia to start off their season, have a bye week, and uh, September 13th, they welcome Ohio State into the Coliseum. Ohio State's going to play a couple of cupcake-type games, uh, Youngstown State and Ohio, before traveling out to USC. What's the uh, overall impression? Are people just talking about this game nonstop on, uh, on the site? Well, the truth of the matter is I think most Ohio State fans have decided that if uh, the Buckeyes are able to get past the Trojans in that game, that they're already going to start booking their tickets to go to Miami and uh, spend the New Year's and a good the first week of January down there getting ready for the BCS championship game. However, that may be a little premature, but I mean, really with the first two games not showing up on the radar as much, there is so much excitement about this USC game that rivals the series that the, the Buckeyes had with the Texas Longhorns as well. Yeah, I mean, you're going to talk, whatever happens, you know, when the rankings come out with the AP rankings and the coaches' polls come out, you would figure USC and Ohio State will be in the one, two, or three spot along with Georgia. That's it's typically what people are thinking. You know, if it's one versus three or two versus three or whatever it is, one, you know, it could even be one versus two. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's going to be just a huge, huge early season matchup. And like you said, the winner of that game is probably going to be favored to make it all the way to Miami in that national championship game. Well, I mean, and, and you're right with that. I mean, you know, it's it's such a big game so early in the season. It's it's you know, I have not heard a person out there, maybe short of the southeast, where they're all clouded in their in their judgment anyway, who hasn't said that this will be the biggest regular season game of the season, and it's going to have all the hoopla. And I mean, I expect, I mean, all the eyes of the college football world love the Buckeyes, hate the Buckeyes, love the Trojans, hate the Trojans to be on this game. And I've had more than a couple people who I know, I won't call them friends, who root for <laughs> other teams who said, I wish both teams could lose. So, I mean, ultimately that just shows you the respect that is involved for these two programs because you don't hate a team that you don't respect. Yeah, it, you know, it's funny. I brought this up in one of the earlier podcasts. 
I mean, a lot of times the, the, you're a team like USC or Ohio State and you become almost like the Yankees of college football and people get sick of seeing you go into the championship games or BCS games and things like that. Uh, I, I think that, I don't know, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think some of the, the, the hatred has gone a little bit more towards Ohio State recently just because of the performance in the, the championship games. And I'm thinking there's going to be some SEC schools that are actually going to be pulling, they normally hate USC, might actually be pulling for USC against Ohio State because they just don't want to see Ohio State make it to the championship game again. Well, you know, and that just shows how wrong they are in their judgment because if they feel that they own Ohio State so much, they should root for Ohio State because then if the SEC team is the one that makes it as the opponent in the uh, national championship game, they should feel like it's a cakewalk and that they're going to win going against Ohio State, whereas I'm not sure off the top of my head what USC's record is against um, SEC teams that in, in the postseason or anything along those lines. But, I mean, if I were an SEC fan and I had this bias that was surrounding this whole series – I'd much rather play Ohio State. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, USC's done pretty well against the SEC schools, and they've I think they've won every game. I don't know when the last time they lost to an SEC school was, but usually the the response is, well, if you played them every week, you'd lose. You know, so there, there's 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 a lot of talk. You know that we're we're both familiar with the uh, the fan base down there, which is very passionate. And you got you got to appreciate the how passionate they are. Um, but passionate and clouded. Yeah. <laughs> good point, Kevin. Uh, well, let's kind of look forward to the game. Um, I mean, if you want, we can start on the defensive side of the ball just because Ohio State just seems so stacked there. I mean, if you uh, a pair of linebackers like Laurinaitis and, and uh, you know Freeman there, they're just it, it's just it just seems like they're so stacked. USC has a great pair of linebackers as well, Cushing and, and Malaluga. I mean, I, I think you're going to see. I don't know if you'll see a better collection of linebackers on the field than you will in this game. No, you'd have to go to games that are played on Sunday to see a better group of linebackers than what you're going to see in this game. I mean, it's it's really amazing the amount of talent that these two teams are going to be able to bring on both sides of the ball, really. But, I mean, at that linebacker position, you have to figure that every every major linebacker award is going to come from one of these, one of these two teams, especially with uh, Sean Lee being out of Penn State as well. So... With that, with that being said, I mean, you know, it, it, it's it's hard to to even really fathom it. But Ohio State fans are very excited that uh, Laurenitis and Freeman both came back, and then with the third linebacker position that's been uh, vacated by the uh, graduation of of Larry Grant, I mean, I think you're going to see some rotations of who's going to be in there. But that Sam linebacker position, anyway, is the first one to come off the field when Ohio State runs a nickel. So, I mean, I don't think that it's going to be that much of an impact on Ohio State's. Uh, overall scheme i think what you're going to need to see is if ohio state's defense is going to play the way that they do during the regular season which is a very aggressive style of defense or if they're going to go a little bit more passive out of respect for what usc has and we saw what that equated to two years ago in the bcs championship game when florida torched them yeah i don't ever understand why great coaches change what they do sometimes like that so yeah it's that's a good point I, and obviously we're gonna have some great linebacking play or it's gonna be really fun to watch I don't know if a lot of USC fans know how good this Ohio State secondary is. I mean, all the guys are big. I think they're all over six feet tall. Just about everybody's back from last year. They've got speed. Can you talk a little about the secondary and what you like about it? Well, I mean, ultimately it all starts with Malcolm Jenkins. I mean, he was another player that could have jumped as a as a junior, but he decided to come back, had unfinished business. I mean, he was, you know, he's a he's a first round pick. I mean, he's early first round pick at, at that matter i mean they've they've got so much depth there i mean they've got a lot of interchangeable parts and people don't think about players like anderson russell and donald washington 
Donald Washington has been linked to possibly being in a little bit of trouble, but I can assure you that any suspensions that would be handed out would go about two games because there's just no way that Ohio State is going to come into this game undermanned at this point. I mean, it's a, it's a very good defense on pass defense. I mean, they feel comfortable enough with a lot of their defenders that they don't have a problem putting them out on an island, and there's been a lot of talk that we might see more man, man-to-man defense out there uh, or man-on-man defense because that was something that Malcolm Jenkins had actually talked with the coaches about, that he wanted to have a chance to do a little bit more of that. And Ohio State doesn't even really get any weaker when they go into the nickel bringing in Chimdi Chekwa as their nickelback. They've got... They've got a lot of depth there. They've got a lot of talent. And, I mean, it's hard to pass against this team. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting battle because if Mark Sanchez has three starts under his belt, he'll have four by the time this game comes around. But obviously he's inexperienced. And there's a lot of receivers back. Everyone's back pretty much a receiver at USC. But none of them have really kind of proven that they can go out in a big game like this and, and, and perform well consistently. So guys like Patrick Turner are going to have to step up their game. And they're big, strong guys, fast guys, good hands. But they're going to have to play really well in this game, obviously, to get the offense going, and they're going to have to do it against a very tough secondary. Um, I think defensive line, if you have anyone ask Ohio State about, uh, about Ohio State's defensive line, people might not have known much before, but after watching the NFL draft, I mean, Golston, Vernon Golston was just everywhere, and he became like this kind of Superman. Uh, I think he's the only one gone off the line, right? Like seven of the top eight guys, I think, are back for Ohio State. That, that they are, and really – the defensive line is going to be the major focal point for Ohio State's defense at this point. I mean, you're going to have Cameron Hayward at one defensive end position, and he stepped in for the injured Lawrence Wilson, who fractured his leg in the first half of the first game of the season. So Lawrence Wilson will be back on the other side, and Lawrence Wilson was talented enough to be lining up on the other side of of, of Vernon Golston, and, and the injury took him out at that point. So Ohio State's also going to be running a lot of uh, Leo backer at, the, uh, at one of the uh, – defensive end spots, who's kind of a stand-up defensive end who can drop back into pass coverage. The question on this defensive line is going to be at tackle, though, because even though Ohio State returns all four tackles, they didn't get as much production as they've had in recent years at the, uh, on the interior line at this point. And since they're not really going to have any different pieces there, will these four players have enough progression under their belts to be able to do anything with the USC offensive line at this point because if Ohio State can't get a push in the middle it ultimately trickles back all the way to the linebackers at this point and they're going to need to have everybody come in and play very well their best game of the year to be able to handle such a monumental task all right well overall looks like it's gonna be a great defense a couple of really amazing defenses maybe two of the best in the country most likely two of the best in the country let's switch over to the offensive side of the ball we usually start with that but I figured the defense was so good we should probably go go there first um, Todd Beckman's a senior coming back at quarterback. Were you impressed with him last year, the way he came in and played, replacing a Heisman Trophy winner? I was impressed for about the first seven or eight games, and then you know I think everybody in uh, the Ohio State Nation kind of got – they were very disappointed in the way that Beckman ended the season. I mean, he had a little bit of a gap in the game against Michigan State where some things kind of fell apart. And then going into the Illinois debacle where Ohio State really didn't have – have much going offensively it it was it was a real rude wake-up call for what was going on and then a rainy game in uh ann arbor didn't help the matter for a for a game that ohio state just basically decided to run 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 and then going to the championship game people are really hoping that that beckman is going to be able to be that leader on the offense and be able to make better decisions beckman's best throw is the deep ball but he's going to have to have the foresight to know that he can't go for the home run every time, and he's going to be able—he's going to have to be able 
to check down and be able to look off receivers and have a much better grasp of what's going on and also not panic as much when he feels that pocket collapsing. And uh, the guys he's throwing to, the receivers, uh, it was a pretty young, inexperienced group last year. Looks like just about everybody's back, but no one really kind of stood out. I mean, they had three guys go in the first round. I believe it was two years ago uh, with Ginn and Gonzalez. And uh, who was the other guy? The um, uh, they had one more receiver go, but not in the first round. They had they had Roy Hall go. Oh, okay. He went, okay, it wasn't a first-round guy. But they were you know, all draft picks that left the team. Kind of inexperienced. So now these guys have a, a year under their belt. What are you expecting from this whole group of receivers? Well, I, I really think that the Bryans, Brian Robisky and Brian Hartline, didn't get as much due as that as, as they should have gotten. I mean, they were both very competent receivers. Uh, Brian Robisky has big playability. He may not be the fastest receiver, but being the son of a of a former NFL head coach and Terry Robisky and current coordinator, I mean, he has so much talent out there. And then you have Brian Hartline, who kind of has that same role as what an Anthony Gonzalez had. I mean. He's hard as nails, and if he's not afraid to, to go over the middle, and he's going to be there for that third down reception. So the two of them are very solid receivers. What Ohio State lacked last year was really having that vertical uh, home run threat, though, of, of a speedster. I mean, Ray Small was supposed to be that guy, but, I mean, it never really came to pass. I mean, he had a couple of big plays. Small has uh, not had the best offseason at this point. He even lost his number four and is now wearing 82 because of just what is going to be called some uh, internal team business. But as I think part of it had to do with uh, wasn't bringing the best attitude to practice. But he's, he's that burner that, that they really need to step up. But Ohio State's got such a great incoming class of, of receivers, and they also had a couple of guys who played as true freshmen last year. So, I mean, they've got all of the parts. The problem is, is that until they can show that they have that vertical threat, teams are going to be able to really load up on the Bryans. Wow, losing your number—that's tough. That's a, that's not easy to do sometimes. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the the receiver core almost reminds me of USC a little bit, where they weren't getting that vertical threat. So we'll have to see. You know, same thing with USC. You got guys coming back. Uh, there's a lot of experience. You know, there's more experience there this year. Yep, but you have to prove it on the field and see where it goes. Um, Offensive line-wise, it looked like four of the five guys are back. Um, were you over? You you kind of impressed what you saw from them in the spring? I really do like the offensive line. The problem is, is that they were so banged up during the spring. You really did not get to see the first-team offensive line out there because a lot of guys were held out of the spring game for one reason or another with injuries. The problem that Ohio State ran into last year is they were decimated by injuries in the depth of the line. Their front-line starters were all there, and they played most of the season because they had to. There was no real depth behind them. This year, with with three of, of the nation's best offensive linemen in this class coming in and some, some healthy players behind them, I think you're going to be able to see Ohio State run two lines. I mean, truth of the matter is they probably won't do a lot of it against USC unless, God forbid, there's injuries or something along those lines. But with what Ohio State has in, the, in, the, in their four returning linemen, they've got very solid linemen who understand the game. They've been playing together for such a long time. The youngest player on that line is center Jim Cordell. An interesting story on him, he had a, pretty much a messed up hand for a good part of the season, so he learned to snap with his other hand, and now he's at a point where he's healthy, so he can snap right-handed or left-handed. So depending on what the nose tackle does, if he shades him one way or the other, he can switch hands and be able to snap the other way. 
the other offensive tackle position, which will be put in by a new person with the graduation of Kirk Barton, Bryant Browning is leading the way. He came out of Ohio State Pipeline School, Cleveland, Linville. He's really toned up, and he's had a very good spring, but you might see some audition process going on there until they find the right guy to be able to, to run that tackle position. Oh, yeah, I like the ambidextrous center. That's really cool. I didn't even think about I've, – I've never heard of that before. I'm sure it's happened, but I've never heard that. That's great. Well, um, offensive line coach Jim Bowman said he's never seen it in all of his years of coaching, and the, the coaching staff was impressed that he was able to come in and immediately, with, with no mistakes, be able to snap with his left hand. Oh, great. Okay. Well, all right. So that's with offensive line. Last one. On this side of the ball, the running backs. Uh, people talk, start talking about Beanie Wells' as potential Heisman winner. I mean, obviously he can get – he's you know, poised to have a great season. Uh, what are your overall thoughts on him? Uh, Chris Beanie Wells is, a, is like a, I've never really seen a running back like him. I mean, I, and I've watched Tyson Winter, Eddie George, and I've seen some great running backs come through through Ohio State, but it really seems that, that Beanie toward the end of last season has put it all together. And you look at all the stats that Beanie put together, what gets lost on a lot of people nationally is he did it so banged up. And, and, and yes, all running backs do get hurt during the season. They have to play in pain. And Chris Wells was called out by some people within the team about having to play hurt and be a warrior out there. And it finally all started to click in, and he became that warrior with a couple games where he eclipsed the 220-yard mark. Now he is healthy, and it is scary to think of what Chris Wells will be able to do even going 90% at this point. I mean, sure, he'll take some wear and tear on the season because they're going to run him, very, they're going to run him a bunch. But Ohio State has enough backup running backs to where they'll be able to, to give them those breathers. And, and they have so many different looks with a speedster like Brandon Sain, who still has a good size at 220 pounds. They're going to have a guy named Daniel Boom Heron, who's going to be coming in off of his redshirt season. And, then of course, they have senior Maurice Wells, who I think that they're finally starting to find a way to get him to go outside of the tackles. He was out of Jacksonville, and he just doesn't really have that inside threat that some of these other running backs have. But if they can get him outside, he has legitimate track speed. So, And you're also going to see Ohio State run a pony back situation of where they're going to have Wells and or Beanie Wells and Sane out there at the same time, with Sane kind of running from that fullback position. And Sane is such a dangerous pass catcher, it really gives Ohio State a lot of options. Wow, yeah, it's going to be a very potent backfield, I think. When Ohio State comes to the Coliseum on September 13th, everyone's looking forward to that. Well, with just about everybody back, I think there's 10 offensive starters back and nine defensive starters and obviously other guys that have some starting experience. You would think, well, maybe they lost, you know, Ohio State lost some guys somewhere. Special teams, maybe? No, everybody's back on special teams as well. And they look like they're going to be great also. Yeah, I mean, their special teams, I mean, Jim Trestle, I mean, there in within town there's been the uh, the little saying that or not even a saying but the the term trestle ball and i mean jim trestle has always really put a focus on on special teams um aj trabasso and ryan pretorius and i mean everybody does a really good job if you had to really find a problem that ohio state had all season long their kick and punt returns were very substandard but they're going to have a lot of speedsters coming in through either redshirt or from the uh, from the incoming recruiting class, and I think that they're going to be able to do something there to where, I mean, that, that if they can even come up to being average at it, I mean, it's going to be so much stronger for what they're going to be able to do because last year it was not very good. Yeah, it's funny the number of parallels between these two schools, and 
I mean, USC and Ohio State have both been, a, you know, top of the recruiting rankings for years. Trestle recruits really well, brings in four and five star guys. Pete Carroll does the same thing. I think Charger fans have been waiting. Oh, you know, they, they got so much speed this year in the recruiting class. The return game is going to get a lot better. No, for whatever reason. I mean, since Reggie Bush, the USC return game really hasn't been that good. Maybe this year with Joe McKnight kind of doing punt returns on a full time basis. We'll see. But same kind of thing. I think. Ohio State fans have been waiting for those, you know, all these talented guys to break these big returns, and I think USC fans have been waiting for the same thing. Exactly. I mean, you know, and it's with with the amount of speed Ohio State has had before. I mean, and and of course the Big Ten is much maligned. It's a bunch of plotters out there, and, you know, <laughs> mid Midwestern corn fed guys, and yada yada yada. But I mean, Ohio State truly has that track speed coming in. I mean, people are really excited about a player out of Maryland, the Lamar Flash Thomas. I mean, he's like the Maryland state champion in, in the 100 meters, and they've got so much speed coming in over the next year, two years, even though those players aren't going to help Ohio State, obviously, in this game in Southern California. But you would have to figure that they really can't perform worse than they did last year. So, I mean, anything is going to be an improvement, and I think that this year you're going you're gonna to see even more of a focus put in on it, not to say that the coaches didn't realize that it wasn't going well last year, but – this year, Ohio State just really needs to make sure that they put themselves in a little bit more favorable field position when it comes to those returns. All right. Well, last thing, we don't want to put you on the spot with a prediction or anything. Yeah, I mean, the game's still a couple months away. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't have answered it. <laughs> but just kind of your, your overall thoughts, like what are you expecting? It's obviously a long way to go uh, to play it. You know, it, it's different when you travel to this, you know, a neighboring state. When you travel across the country, it's a little bit different, obviously, Hundred thousand fans or whatever in the in the stands watching. What what are kind of your thoughts of how the Ohio State's going to perform when they travel out to L.A.? Well, last season when Ohio State had to travel out to Washington, they kind of had a hangover for the first half of the game. Let's face it, USC ain't Washington. This is going to be a very different type of game. I think you're going to see an Ohio State team that's not going to be afraid to pass or attempt to pass. But even with that, their bread is buttered with a with a strong running game. Ohio State's really going to have to try and find a way to to, to get pressure on uh, Mark Sanchez and be able to to stifle any running game that USC has. The the Buckeyes would rather say, okay, if you're going to beat us, pass on us, and if you can pass on us, congratulations. But they really have taken pride over the past years. I mean, more years than I can I can count on on shutting down uh, the running game. I mean, on, on first glance with the defenses that are out there, I mean, you would have to think that it's not going to be that type of prototypical high-scoring Pac-10 game, but with the amount of talent that's on the offensive side, you, you're also not going to think that it's going to be a total Big Ten type of grind game. I mean, I'm expecting a really good game and a close game, and I don't expect either team to be able to go in there and, you know, dominate their opponent. All right. Well, hey, Kevin Noon from BuckeyeGrove.com, the official Ohio State side of Rivals.com Network. Thank you so much for spending your time. I know you're really busy, but thanks for sharing some time with us and uh, sharing all your great insights on the Ohio State program. Uh, Thanks for having me, and if you want to have me on closer to the big game, I'll be ready to go. All right, we'll definitely do that, Kevin. Thanks so much, and uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to the Peristyle Podcast. Tune in next week, and we'll we'll keep previewing the games on USC schedule, so stay tuned. listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player. Just search for Peristyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.